Welcome to today's sermon, Spiritual Growth. From what has Christ done for me to what can I do for Christ? From John 3. I'm Femi Asabin, a preacher for the Church of Christ. Thank you for tuning in to today's show. Many people start their spiritual journey questioning what it is that God has done for them through Jesus. And that's a good place to start, but not stay if we understand the depth of love God has for us demonstrated through Jesus' atoning sacrifice. As we mature spiritually, we should start asking, what is it we can do for God? How can we honor Christ? This sermon analyzes that concept through Jesus' interaction with Nicodemus in John 3. I hope it causes you to consider what it is that you can do for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. John 3.16 is one of the most well-known verses in the Bible in the world. And if I was to start it off, I'm pretty sure we all could finish it because we've encountered it at some point in our lives. We've seen it on signs at uh, sports events. We've heard people quote it, and in it, it contains a very beautiful truth that God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son in it so that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. You see, a lot of people, while they know the passage, while they can hear the passage and believe the passage, I would say do not fully understand what Jesus was saying in John 3.16. You see, a lot of people will find themselves like a Nicodemus who Jesus was speaking to in that context. You see, they understand the goodness of what God did through Jesus Christ. And they acknowledge that Jesus was a good individual, but they don't take it to its full conclusion and understand its spiritual implications. And that's because they're focused on an earthly understanding. They're relating everything that God has done for the world and relegating it to their personal understanding how they see and it's this lack of understanding that people who do not approach spiritual things with a spiritual mind such as a Nicodemus show that doesn't lead us to receiving the benefit of God sending his son into the world but God's patient And just because we don't understand it at first doesn't mean that God will not give us the time to. Because we see with the Nicodemus that he's referenced other times in the Gospel of John. At one time, he's even defending this Jesus whom in this verse, in this section of scripture, he comes to at night to get some questions answered. And then at another time later in scripture, he's actually preparing Jesus's body and honoring the slain Savior for his burial in which he is to be crucified. I believe that Nicodemus grew in faith just like everybody can. And in understanding that we all have the capability of growing in faith and understanding spiritual things as we develop, we see that Jesus 
exemplifies a good way to teach everybody, including ourselves, because we understand that we're not a finished product until we're called home. And so we're always developing in our faith is that as we teach personal responsibility, as we understand personal responsibility, responding to God's actions in Jesus Christ, we can't force a person to accept truth. You just present it to them. And what I'm going to do right now is read John 3, 1 through 21, which we find John three sixteen in. And this is truth that one leads us to the salvation that God is offering in Jesus Christ. John 3, verse number 1. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can a man be born when he is old, Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teachers, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things. I tell you the truth. We speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the son of man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the son of man must be lifted up that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but man loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. Nicodemus comes to Jesus to speak 
about what he understands God's doing in Jesus. Savior, Jesus, teacher, rabbi. You couldn't do these things unless you were of God. But what does God do? What does Jesus do? He takes that conversation from where Nicodemus is to where he actually needs to be. You see, Nicodemus is focusing on what God is doing through Jesus. And Jesus is focusing on why God is doing it through him. See, Nicodemus is caught up in the acts. Yes, he has done miraculous signs. John hasn't recorded them in his gospel, but Jesus has done some miraculous signs. He's done things to prove that he is of God. But Jesus is saying, I want you to grasp the deeper meaning and I want you to obtain the salvation that these acts are supposed to be pointing you to. Nicodemus focuses on what Jesus is doing. Jesus is focused on why he's doing it. You see, a lot of times we're focused on the wrong thing. We focus on what God's done. Yes, God has blessed us. God has blessed somebody. God has done this. But the why he does it is even more important because he's trying to save people. He's trying to lead us to eternal life through his son, Jesus Christ. And if we're constantly going to look at what God has done without contemplating why, we'll never get to what God wants us all to obtain. And in getting there, we must allow Jesus to control the conversation. Because we have a lot of questions for God. We understand that God has done a lot of things and we witness this and we testify to it sometimes. Like a Nicodemus. Rabbi, you couldn't do these things unless you were of God. Yes, Nicodemus, that's a good place to start. You understand that Jesus is a good man. Jesus is of God. But just understanding that, pointing that out, is not going to lead you to what God wants you to be. And so what Jesus does is he switches the conversation from what he's done to why he's doing it, to take Nicodemus from where he's at in life to where God wants him to be. And unless we in our lives allow Scripture, Bible to influence the conversation that we're having, especially one of a spiritual nature. We're never going to start talking about what God really wants us to speak on. So we might talk about I need God to bless me. I need God to change this in my life. God has done this. God has blessed me. But we won't get to why God has done it. We won't get to what it means now that I have been saved, that I've been baptized and what I'm really supposed to be doing in response to what God has done and what God has blessed me with. But we get there only if we allow God to control the conversation. God has to tell us what it is he wants us to do. And we find that in scripture. And if we're not allowing God to control the conversation, then we can only speak from our limited understanding. We can only talk about what we see, what we know. And we won't get to the deeper levels of truth that God is exposing and expressing to all of us through Holy Scripture. 
You see, scripture is important because it allows us not to be stuck where we are in life. Think about it. How many times have you read a passage in the Bible and you said, you know what? I never thought about it like that. I didn't understand what this was saying until I came at it again and again. And I contemplated and I prayed over this passage because I was thinking at it through my perspective. But God was actually saying something a little bit deeper, a little bit more and calling me to something more serious that I never would have known if I didn't allow God's scripture to influence my thoughts. Like Nicodemus. If Jesus didn't take control of that conversation, Nicodemus would have never got to the purpose of why God was manifesting himself through the signs and miraculous things that God allowed Jesus to do. But to get there, we have to be listening with the spiritual mind. We can't listen with the worldly mind, the fleshly mind, the carnal mind, because the carnal mind, the fleshly mind, the, the worldly mind does not understand scripture. Nicodemus, you must be born again. And it's a good thing that Nicodemus's mother wasn't there because her son's response would have probably caused her to Take a step back with fright. Enter my womb again. You see, Nicodemus is thinking with an earthly mind. And when we think with an earthly mind, when we encounter spiritual teaching, spiritual sayings, we can't fully grasp it. Nicodemus, how are you going to enter into your mother's womb again so that you can be born twice? Impossible. Impossible. But Jesus wasn't speaking Fleshly, Jesus was speaking spiritually, and he says, your rebirth is one in water and spirit, meaning you must be baptized. And in your baptism, you will be given the gift of the Holy Spirit, which will make you a new person, which will lead you in the path of righteousness, which will change you from the state in which you were before your encounter of faith to Jesus Christ to the person that God is calling you to be that will live eternally in his presence. A spiritual transformation, not physical. Because we know when we were baptized, physically, the only thing that happened was we got wet. Spiritually, our old person died and we rose up a new creature in Christ Given the Holy Spirit to help us along this Christian path. Now, does that mean that everything about me changed? Not in that moment. Still woke up the same person that you were the next day. You still had the same, dare I say, blemishes or beauty marks that God had given you. You still... Looked the same. Your hairstyle didn't change unless you went to the barber. But internally, spiritually, you were a new person. And God had imparted something in you to help you to get over the person he had called you from. And that's the new birth, the second 
The second birth that Jesus is talking about, because being that we was granted life, we was all born of a woman. But not everybody who acknowledges Jesus Christ and recognizes that God has done something special in Jesus, that Jesus is good, accepts that truth and gets reborn. And so there's no real benefit for them for knowing truth. The benefit in knowing truth is that you respond to it appropriately and you are born again. And in that spiritual understanding, you start to see the depth of what God is doing spiritually in this life. So this time of worship, you get this deeper significance. It's teaching me that as I commit time to learning God's word, as I commit time to taking out of my life to give appreciation to God through the acts of taking communion in which I remember the sacrifice of Christ and who he's called us to be through the sacraments of fruit of the vine and unleavened bread, that I'm called to be somebody special. As I give of some of what God has given me to prosper, that I'm Showing that I'm really relying on God to supply my needs and not what he has supplied me with. As I sing in, in the spirit and I understand the lyrics of the song and I'm giving up my praise through singing and appreciation, I'm really learning these words so that I can learn and teach, admonish, and encourage myself and others through the communal congregational singing. And as we pray, I'm asking God to intercede in my life for his benefit, to mold me and to change me into what would be best for me in life to have faith. But I can't understand any of those things if I don't approach it with the spiritual mind. Because if I approach it with the earthly mindset, then I'll say I could take communion however I want, when I want. I can sing however I want, how I like. And the purpose of the song is not one that's godly inspired. I can give without the proper motive and it won't be blessed, received by God. I could come to church when it's convenient. I can pray for things that have nothing that will help me grow deeper in faith. Because when you don't think about the spiritual aspect of it, you lose its real meaning. But those things with spiritual implications have real practical application. So as you're buried in a watery grave, Practically, you are reminding yourself that I've died and a new person has come up. As I eat this broken body and drink this blood, I'm reminded that Christ actually sacrificed for me to have eternal salvation. As I am blessed on a continual basis from God and say that I'm going to give something back to him, I'm reminded that God is really looking out for my needs. And as God answers my prayers, I'm reminded that he hears me, that he's working with me, and he's trying to get me to somewhere else. 
to where I can communicate with him face to face when I leave this earth. You see, there's a purpose to what God is doing spiritually and physically. But what hinders our spiritual understanding is that we look at only the earthly, physical ramifications of what we're doing. And looking at that, a lot of times, we're looking to please his flesh. We're looking to do things that what Jesus says in this passage is evil in darkness because it's not of light. So think about our actions. There's a lot of things that we like to do that we can justify that are not quite right by God's standard. And a lot of that is because we like the darkness to some aspect. So I like to be able to justify myself. I like to be able to control situations. I like making sure that my flesh, that my body, that myself is taken care of on my own personal standards. And sometimes I don't trust God to take care of what only God can really take care of because I'm approaching things with the earthly mind, with the evil understanding. And when you approach life like that, then you're going to make sure that whatever you do makes sense to you. But that hinders your spiritual growth. That hinders the faith that God is trying to lead you to. And you can justify your flesh. Easy. Might not make sense to nobody but you, but it's easy. Because it will make sense to you. And that's not just to people who are of the world. It's also to people who are supposed to be knowledgeable of God. Nicodemus. He was a Pharisee, a religious leader, a person that studied the law, who taught the law, yet he still didn't understand the spiritual things that Jesus was speaking of. You see, we're all guilty of being susceptible to having evil deeds. And when we understand that, then it's easier for us to walk in the light. Because we recognize that unless I do something with my own selfish desires, I will not fulfill the desires of God. I will not walk in the ways of the light. And when we don't walk in the ways of the light, we keep a part of ourselves hidden from ourselves, from others. Because at some level, we know what's wrong and we have shame. But when we walk in the light, when we walk in what God is calling us to walk to, we feel free to expose all of our deeds, all of our actions, because we know we're doing it for the right purpose. We're justified by God. Think about what you have done throughout your life. When you have done things and you know you was right, no matter how anybody saw it, what did you do? You exposed it. You let people know. You weren't ashamed of the fact that you did what you did because you were justified not by yourself, 
but by doing right. But when you did things that you know had a selfish intent, sometimes you did them sneaky. Sometimes you didn't want nobody to know because the thoughts, your motives were one of a self-serving purpose rooted in darkness and not in light. And for us to get to the point to where we're walking in light, we must be born again. Because when we come in contact with God in that watery grave of baptism and we put on Christ, then we're transformed and we're given a new life. And we understand we're led not by one from earth, but by Jesus who came from heaven to instruct us how to get to where he came from. So it's important that we do not ever get so caught up in listening to men that we put them on a pedestal. You should never get so to the point to where my words become gospel, but you should get to the point to where you measure up my words. Anybody who says they're speaking for God against scripture to see if what they actually say is what God is saying. Because it's not anybody but the teachings from heaven that's going to get you to heaven. A lot of people are smart. A lot of people are good speakers. But that doesn't make what they say right. So if we want to know how to please God, get back to heaven, we must listen to the one who is from heaven. And that's what John started his gospel off with. The word was with God. The word was God. And this word took on flesh and was Jesus Christ. And this flesh that, in, that encapsulated the word Jesus was the light of man, called man to him. And some came and some rejected. The question is, what will we do when we encounter truth? Not just parts of it, but truth in its totality. Because what Jesus is actually trying to do is get us to heaven. He wants us to be in his presence forever. But we have to overcome the darkness. And a lot of that darkness is internal. There's darkness in the world. But the hardest darkness to overcome is the internalized darkness that's focused on appeasing your own desires, your own flesh, your own understanding in opposition to God's. John 3.16, one of the most well-known verses in scriptures, talks about Jesus bringing salvation. And this follows another example given in numbers to where salvation was brought in the wilderness with the lifting up of the serpent. I'm going to read that passage real quick. It's a short passage. It's found in Numbers 21. And it starts at verse 4 and it goes through verse 9. And it reads, this is the children of Israel. They traveled from Mount Hor along the route to the Red Sea to go around Edom. But the people grew impatient on the way and they spoke against God and against Moses and said, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the desert? There is no bread, there is no water, and we detest this miserable food 
in reference to the manna. Then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. They bit the people and many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, we sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. The Lord said to Moses, make a snake and put it on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it up on the pole. Then when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, he lived. What had happened? God's people were complaining because they did not want to follow God's way. And in that complaining, they didn't appreciate the path that he put them on to the promised land. So what did they start doing? They started complaining about what God had given them to eat. They start complaining about the situation, not recognizing that it was only because of their lack of faith that they were in that situation at first. They were supposed to be in the promised land, but what happened? They didn't go conquer that promised land. So God said for every day that you were out there spying, the land will be a year that you wander in this wilderness. So for 40 years, they had to wander. So while they're wandering, they take this route and they start complaining because they didn't want to go that way. So what God does, sends serpents to these ungrateful people who don't appreciate what he's done to kill them. You see, when we don't understand, appreciate what God has done for us, we're going to incur his wrath. And it's not a pleasant thing, but it's what happens. And in incurring God's wrath, there's also a side of grace that he offers. They complained, they prayed, and Moses beseeched God on their behalf. So he makes a bronze serpent. And God tells them, if you look at this bronze serpent, then you will be healed. What's he really saying? You have to have faith that when you go through those bad times, when you get bit because you were complaining, these snakes came and you were unappreciative of what I did and I, and I make you suffer, you punish because of it. You got to have faith to do what I say. You got to listen for the remedy of your situation. God said you get bit, you look at this snake. So what happened? If you want to be healed, you got to do what he says. You got to look at the snake. And if you look at that snake, what does that mean? You had faith to do what God said. You trusted in the means of salvation. And for us today, that's Jesus Christ. Just like they looked at that serpent, we have to look at that cross. The Christ who was risen and died and suffered for us because he is the mode, the means of salvation. And it's a sign of grace that God is going to give those who have faith to look. Because we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. And he understands that. But he has grace in the fact that he gives us a mode in which we can be saved. The question is, do you have the faith to receive that salvation? Because as John told us from the lips of Jesus, Jesus Christ came into this world and died for everyone. Salvation is a free offer to everyone in the world. 
But the sad part is not everyone will receive it because they don't have the faith to do what God says do to receive salvation. Be baptized of water and of the spirit. You see what Jesus is calling Nicodemus to is a deeper acknowledgement than that Jesus is just a good guy. That Jesus is operating under the power of God. What Nicodemus is actually being called to is that Jesus acts are actually assigned to get him to put faith in this Jesus. Which a lot of people won't do. They'll read the Bible and say it's a good book. They'll even say that some of the practices are worth doing. But they won't believe like God wants us to believe. And it's not just limited to people that's not in the church. The people in the wilderness were God's chosen people. Nicodemus was a teacher of the Old Testament, a leader in God's people. The gospel was written to people who believed that Jesus was the Christ. You see, what needs to happen for those who follow God is that they need to believe at a deeper level. They need to accept it wholeheartedly, not just at the surface, not just enough to get by. But in every aspect of our lives, we must put faith in Jesus Christ. Because our salvation is built, based, coupled with our belief. God did everything that he needs to do. He did everything that he's going to do in sending Jesus Christ. We must do our part as well, which is have faith in Christ, faith to the point that we do what he says and we walk in the light. Because God loves us. He loved us when we were wrong. The children of Israel in the wilderness, they were complaining. They were upset with what God had provided them the way that he was sending him. Yet he still loved them enough to provide a way for them to be saved when they had got bitten by the snake. The same for us. We've all made mistakes in life. We've all spurred God in his path for us, and we've all have complained and acted ungratefully for the blessings that God has provided, yet he still loves us to the point that he's given us Jesus Christ so that we can have salvation. And all we got to do is respond appropriately. Believe. Submit our will to his and walk in the light. You see, there's only two people, two groups of people in the world. And this is what Jesus says. There are those who are condemned, the ones that walk in darkness. And those who are not condemned, the ones who walk in light. What's the difference? They both have sinned. They both have fallen short of the glory of God. It's just that one group believes God enough to accept the salvation that he offers and to change their life. And the other, nah, not so much so. They're going to go live to their understanding of life. And they're going to miss what God is calling us to spiritually. You see, almost everybody in this world acknowledges the uniqueness of Jesus. But our actions will testify if we believe in Jesus. And that belief is a lifelong process. 
starts at our baptism and ends in our transition from this life to glory with salvation. And if we're not careful and we don't demonstrate faith on a daily basis, we could be like Nicodemus. We can be religiously smart, but spiritually ignorant. We can know so much that we have made up our minds as a determinant of what is right by God's will and not approach it in faith. And we don't ever want to do that. What we want to do is when we encounter Christ, see what he's really calling us to spiritually and live that out in our lives. Nicodemus, at this point, shows the tendency of a lot of people in the world to be religiously smart in their own minds, but spiritually blind. Jesus shows that I'll work with you wherever you start at, because what I'm trying to do is bring you salvation, and you must have faith. The example we see in Nicodemus is one that I think we should all strive to follow. Wherever we start off with our understanding of Christ, it gets to the point to where we appreciate the sacrifice that he gave for us. And we honor that by doing something good for him, which would be belief and living a life that acknowledges that Jesus Christ is the son of God and that I want to see him eternally. So I'm going to put my faith, belief in him while I'm here in this present condition on earth. Because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's a promise to us that we can all have if we believe it and act on it in faith. I'm not sure where that sermon leaves you. My prayer is that you will contemplate it and incorporate it into your Christian life. If you're not a Christian, I ask, what's stopping you? God sent his son, Jesus, to freely extend the gift of salvation to all who will follow him. To get that salvation, one must follow the example set out in scripture. The book of Acts, which details the church's beginnings and expansion, shows us biblical examples of those who were saved. A good place to look is in Acts 2. You get Peter preaching the first gospel sermon and the response of those who heard and believed his message. They repented and were baptized, which added them to the church Christ established. The Bible only teaches of one church. If you want to be added to it, go to your local church of Christ and tell them your desire to be washed of your sins and to live a godly life. Study your Bible, put its teachings to practice, and you will make heaven your home.